I'm Celine Williams, and welcome to the Leading Through Crisis podcast, a conversation series exploring resiliency and leadership in challenging times. So today, my guest is Jacqueline Wales, who for more than 35 years has explored human behavior and asked tough questions to discover hard truths. She believes in the power of fearlessness to create the career and life you want. As a motivational speaker, professional coach, author of The Fearless Factor and The Fearless Factor at Work, among other books, Jacqueline has helped countless people become more empowered, confident, and resilient. Jacqueline, thank you for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, Celine. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to talk about this. I love that you've written a book about fearlessness because I think that is an incredible topic. Um, And I do want to start with sort of the big broad question I usually ask, which is when you hear the idea of leading through crisis or leading in challenging times, what does that mean for you? What comes up for you around that? Uh, Well, for me, first and foremost, crisis means that, that people are not dealing with change very well. Um, that they're overwhelmed, that, that things are, are not moving smoothly. And, you know, I'm always going to go back to the individuals, you know, leading through crisis, leading through change demands a great deal of self-awareness mm-hmm. for the individual who's doing the leading. And frequently that's lacking. <laughs> Do you really know what your strengths and your weaknesses are? Do you know what your values are? Uh, do you lead from that place or are you leading because it's a role and this is how you're supposed to be doing it and then other people don't want to play with you because they're not on the same page frankly and there you have it crisis right there so for me it's all about starts with the individual if we're talking about leading through crisis so start with yourself and think about how you're dealing with change or not I think that's really, I think that's cannot be overemphasized because that, that it's so easy to want to look externally and, and say, well, this is what a good leader looks like, or this is how a leader should lead. But if you're not doing the internal work and doing that internal examination, it's not, it's in my experience and my opinion, it's never effective because it's not real. Well, this is it. I mean, one of the things that I do in my work is help people to show up authentically you know, and what does that mean? Well, I want to see the real you. I want to see your warts. I want to see your strengths. I want to see you with, with you know, pretty much bringing everything, you know, show up and, and show me who you are. And it's in a crisis that we really do show people who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've had enough crises in my own life to know that, you know, we don't always perform at the best when we're under pressure we don't always perform at our best when we're overwhelmed um when we're feeling like we don't have all the answers now that's a big mistake that many people in in leadership make is that they think they should have all the answers and having the the strength of character the fearless quality to say i don't know is is a big piece of handling the crisis you know it's like i don't have the answers right now but we're going to work on this together to find the solutions that we need in order for us to move the ship again, if you like. Yeah. Um, I want to explore this idea a little bit of the fearless factor that you mentioned. I know it's your book, but can you tell us a little bit about what that, what that is for you? I mean, you've written at least two books about this. It's a big piece of your work, as you just mentioned. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is for you and what you're, where you're coming from when you talk about the fearless factor? Yeah. 
So here's my take on being fearless. It's not the absence of fear, but it's the courage to take the next step. Now, this is really important because when we think about being fearless, it really is not about having no fear. Of course. We all have anxiety. We all have uncertainty. We all have that sense of, you know, not knowing what to do next of the don't know. But unless you take the next step, then you're just going to stay in, in that stuck mode. I mean, that's another reason why people get into crisis because they're not taking the next step. So the being fearless for me is, is really about, again, are you brave enough to say, I, you know, I, I need to just go see what this is about. Um, I work a lot with individuals. So for them, it's about, they come to me and they go, you know, I don't have the confidence. I'm feeling a bit stuck. I'm, I'm not speaking up in meetings and so on and so forth. So then I want to know, so what's getting in the way of that? And a lot of it is our negative thinking. A lot of it is our conditioning that has created uh, a miasma, if you like, around who you really are, you know, because you're not really living true to your own personality, to your own strengths, your own weaknesses, and so forth, as we mentioned. So being fearless for me is about taking the risk of respecting your intention and showing courage. That's my acronym for risk. Respect your intention and show courage. And that brings like me that. back to being fearless as the courage to take the next step. Right. So it's, it's not a complicated thing, because here's the thing about fear. Fear is an emotion, which means that most of our fears are imagination-based. Now, I understand in the last year, there's been a lot of real fears around fears about losing a job or having lost a job, fear of losing your, your, your life uh, as far as the, the COVID thing is concerned, um, fears of, of not enough financial support. You know, there's a lot of that. But when you look at what would be your next step to handle some of that? So, yeah, if I lose a job, what do we do? well, you've got to put your attention to where you might find another job, mm. not just to sit back and go, well, it is what it is, you know, and that's a lot of what happens. It is what it is. And what there you end up in crisis again. So, you know, what's your action steps? Where, what are you, what are you thinking about in terms of moving yourself forward? So when we think about the fear piece, fear is predicated on what happened in the past might happen again in the future. But we forget that in this present moment, we have a choice. And the choice is that you can do something. And if you choose to do nothing, that's a choice. So we have to really look at, again, if we're in crisis, what choices are you making? What action steps are you taking in order for you to break out of whatever that, that place is? You know? And the answers may not be evident right away. But unless you're moving, you won't find the answers you're looking for. But here's the other thing about looking for the answers. I say it's not about looking for the answers, it's about asking the right questions. Now, as a coach, my job is to ask you questions, you know, just as you do in your interviews. I ask questions to get down to the heart of what is going on. So I like to say one of my favorite questions is, what about that matters? Now, this is a really, really important question because when we get caught up in our stuff, what about that matters? If you're stuck in something, so ask yourself, what about, you know, why am I stuck is one question. 
but what about being stuck is is really the issue for you mm. and then you have to again it's it's an emotional thing i like to see our thinking drives our behavior our behavior drives our actions it's a very simple thread we all know that so start with the thinking what are you thinking about are you thinking that you can't solve this are you thinking that you're no good are you thinking that you know nobody wants what you have as an entrepreneur there have been many moments when i have sat here and said what am i doing wrong you know i know i've got a lot of good stuff going on but nobody's responding you know or they're not responding the way i want them to respond right so then i have to think about okay so how do you position this a little differently how do you open up the conversation it's a learning piece you know part of the reason we get into crises for instance is people are afraid of failing so because they're afraid of failing they don't take the actions that are necessary again to the risk factor to test things out because what is failure but simply testing things out i like to say failure is very simple it's a decision an expectation um, a direction that you had anticipated that didn't go the way you wanted it to mm -hmm. and if you can take it simply as an iteration it changes things but when you freeze because you're afraid of failure afraid of taking that decision afraid of taking that next step then again you're in crisis so it's always going to come back to the individual mm. the individuals who are leading the teams that are leading the organization so if the whole organization is in crisis what's happening at the top <laughs> how does that trickle down through the entire organization and i see this all the time with cultural work when you look at the behaviors that are driving you know the so-called accepted norms of, a, of an organization well it's pretty much bad behavior that's been put up with for god knows how long yeah i love that you said that i do a big piece of my business is doing uh cultural design works with culture design work with organizations and one of the things that i ask and i don't just ask the leaders this but we go in and we find out is what behaviors are rewarded what's accepted what are you know what are the unspoken things that get overlooked and not just what the leaders see because you're right it is it's all of that is part and parcel of the entire situation of what happens in crisis it's not it's really interesting um i love that you drew that comparison because it's so in my wheelhouse of things that i'm passionate about and yeah. it starts with the individual and you see it in the collective yes yeah I mean, that that's exactly what happens. And, you know, I get companies who are talking to me about, you know, doing assessments on their leaders. And when I do behavioral assessments, which is a 360, yep. and you can, you really show them, this is how you're showing up. And this is what the people think of you. The shock on their faces is, is usually quite something because how they see themselves as being the ideal leader and how they're being perceived by other people. Yeah, it's two different things here. So, you know, Again, that self-awareness, you know, that's a lot of what the behavioral work is about, is about how do I bring you a gift of showing you what you think about for yourself and how you're showing up in the workplace. And we do a pretty serious analysis of all the different dimensions of, of how they're showing up in the workplace across different functions. Um, and I, I think it's a very important piece. 
And I don't think there's enough uh, companies who are really invested in, you know, basically, I call it opening the raincoat, you know, yeah. it's like, let's expose what's really going on here. They would rather just keep it all closed up and we'll just go about our business and hope that it's all gonna come right. That's not a way to handle crisis. Handling crisis is about being willing to confront what's really at root for all of this. Yeah. But if you open that raincoat, and by the way, I agree with you, I am not saying this because because I what I'm about to say is my opinion. But I think for a lot of them, the idea is if you open that raincoat, then you are going to be in crisis because you are going to see all the things that you are currently ignoring. So if you never open it, then you never have to deal with it. Well, that's exactly it. You know, it's the old blinkers thing. You know, it's like, we're just going to see what we see. And that's what it is. You know, I mean, we know about the fixed versus the growth mindset, you know, and the fixed mindset is very much about blinkers are on. I see what I see and I do what I do. And it is what it is. Whereas the growth mindset says, I can have peripheral vision here and I can see there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be addressed. You know, and I hate to use the word fixed because I don't believe anybody or anything needs to be fixed per se, but I do think there has to be a greater degree of observation and willingness to deal with the uncertainties, the inadequacies, the, the things that really are not serving well. Mm -hmm. And that I think is, is really key to, again, being fearless. If you're gonna open the raincoat, then, you know, work on it, work on it. And the vulnerability piece is huge because people don't want to show their weaknesses. You know, it's like, I got everything together. How are you doing today? Just fine. Oh, really? Tell me more about that one. You know, and you hear that from clients and you can hear it in their voice. I'm fine. Oh, really? Okay. Can we explore that one a little bit? <laughs> See how that's working for you? So I love, I love that. So I do that when I talk, when I hop on the phone with my clients and they'll be, I'll be like, how, you know, how are you today? I'm fine. And I will literally be like, mm, you're lying to me. What's really going on. And they're always like, what, how I'm like, listen, very, there are some, there are some times where people are like, yeah, I'm fine. And they actually are, but almost always it is a reflexive response. And so I, I think that's a really important thing to, to be out that's that self-awareness starts in moments like that. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, going back to the behavioral assessments that I do, when I'm sitting doing a debrief with an individual, and we're talking about the behaviors that are driving their, their person uh, at this point in time. And when we start to get granular about it, and we start to explore how, how really this is working for you. And again, you've got 360. So you're getting feedback from others. Um, it, it can be a bit of a surprise. You know, I've had people break down in tears because they had no idea that that's, that, that was the impact that they were having. Um, but then it, it really does give you a window to say, ah, oh, well, if that's what's going on, maybe I can change it. Yeah. Maybe I can do better. And that's the, the, the greatest piece for me is I want somebody to say, I can see a need to change. I can see I can do better. And when that individual starts from that point of view, that crisis starts to get better. Because as you, you said before we started talking, crisis is really about change. 
And change is one of my favorite subjects because I've spent a lifetime going through my own changes. Yes. And, uh, you know, I do not say that lightly. I have had amazing experiences in, in now my six decades of life. And it's, I bring all of that to my, my work. And this is how I know what fearless really means because I had so much of my own personal life in fear that drove a lot of my behavior. So drove, lost a lot of opportunities as a result of not being able to stand up and claim my ownership. And this is what I talk about in my work. How do you claim ownership of your entirety? Mm. Your entirety, not just the bits that you think people will find socially acceptable, which by the way is the word nice. Nice means socially acceptable. Are you being nice today, especially for women? Oh, I hate That's it. A big problem for women. I'm just trying to be a nice girl. Well, get over that one, you know? And so when women come to me with, you know, I want to be more fearless, what does that mean? I want you to be more confident. I want you to take ownership of your skills, your talents. I want you to be able to speak up and not sit silently when somebody overrides you or when you've got an idea that, that should be shared and you're feeling reluctant to do that. And by all means, get over the imposter syndrome because that's basically fear-based you know um and and so much of our behaviors is fear-based and remember what i said at the beginning fear is imagination based we make up the stories to cover up this thing inside that feels like you know the primitive brain on overdrive you know we're not in the executive function we're in back here somewhere yeah but there's a lot more to it as you well know when we look at brain science but there that is a piece and how do we react? Our emotions, we as, as self-aware people, it's about knowing how to handle your emotions, isn't it? So if you have a boss who's constantly screaming, who's constantly banging on people to get stuff done, even in times of crisis, what do you think that does for everybody? Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Not so much. Um, so again, get back to the individual. What would you like to do to, to correct this behavior? Yeah. Because, you know, you're, you're ruining the organization as a result of it. And these folks don't get fired. That's oh. what blows me away. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're putting up with this. Yeah. It's like, why? I've had CEOs say, I've had somebody for 10 years and I constantly am on his case. I want to... You know, I want him to improve. I've given him enough room to do that. I've given him coaching. He still doesn't do it. So I'm like, can his ass. You got to get rid of it because it's undermining everything that you're trying to do here. Well, I don't know how to do that. I mean, he's been pretty loyal. He's been with the company, blah, blah, blah. Okay. How much is this costing you? Are you going to be fearless? Are you going to be courageous enough to take that step that says... We've tried, we've really tried, but we've come to the end of the road. And that's that fearless piece right there. So I have a question for you for someone who is, cause I, I hear similar things all the time, which is like, you know, that we know that there's a problem here and we're not actually doing anything about that person or team or group of whatever it's, um, it's people. It's, you know, it's, a, it's, we can say that it's process and we can say that it's all these other things, but people drive all of that. So there's usually a person or people there. Um, and they'll say, you know, they know they need to get rid of it. They're 
afraid to do it. They, how are they going to replace this person? This person has so much organizational knowledge, whatever the excuses are, because they're excuses, but it's all very fear-driven. So when you hear things like that, when people, if people are listening to this or watching this and thinking like, oh yeah, I know that person who's the problem and they're not doing anything about it. How, what can they ask themselves or what would you ask them to get them through that fear resistance and to recognize it for what it is, which is not real because because in those moments, you know, that CEO you're talking to is like, no, but how am I going to find a replacement in the job market or whatever other thing that they're telling themselves? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the bottom line is that, you know, to replace them is a lot of work. There's no question. And there will be a time of, of adjustments that has to, to happen. You know, I mean, that's, and of course they don't want that. You know, it's like, well, I can't afford the time. I can't afford, you know, to, to lose ground on this. Well, what ground are you losing already? Because this person is not performing to the level you want them to perform to. Right. So the, the piece that the individual has to ask themselves, apart from what it is this costing you, is on a more positive side of things, what would be the ideal? And let them develop the picture of what the ideal would be. Now, frequently they'll start with, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Okay, so then my next question is always going to be, well, what do you not want? <laughs> so if you go to what do you not want, and you've made that list, well, it's much easier to go to what do you do want? For sure. You just need to go the opposite way. So that's, that's where I would go with this, is think about what, what you really want. And then think about, there is somebody out there who can do this job. Yeah. And it will take time and you have to be prepared to go with that, that downturn, if you like, or that downward slope while you get somebody to pick up the energy and the pace again. Um, and it doesn't have to take forever to do. So if you've had somebody in the job for 10 years and why they, they're just an encyclopedia of everything that needs to happen within the organization and how the hell are you going to help somebody else do that? Well, you might find somebody who's actually smarter and a lot more capable and can take it in in a fraction of the time it's like when i talk about fearless change i like to say i it took me years to make my changes but my job is to help you do it in weeks and months that's it because a lot of it is about adjusting the thinking because once you adjust your thinking and you look at your limiting beliefs and you look at that at what it is that's getting in the way then the adjustment is a lot faster. Mm. So that's really what my programs are all about is, is helping people to make that adjustment as fast as possible. Because why do we want to hang around in this stuff? You know, it's uncomfortable. It makes our life miserable. It makes our relationships miserable. And it certainly makes our work life miserable as well. Yeah. So when we look at all that misery, it's like, yeah, how long do you want to hang around in this? Yeah. Not, not too long. So that's why this is important. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually want to go back to something you said, because this has, this has um, brought up a question for me. So when you, you were talking about assessments and that you do these like 360 leadership assessments and that to many people, the information that comes forward is surprising. It's not what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. None of that shocks me. And 
the question that comes up for me is in situations like that, when they are surprised and I've had situations, like I've had the experience of people where not only are they surprised, but they are, they will argue with you about why it's just wrong, right? It's not only, I wasn't expecting that, but it is like, nope, the assessment was wrong. The people were, there was a bad, like whatever the reason is. Right? I was in a bad, I was in a bad mood when I did it. Or right. I, I was feeling tired or I didn't give it enough attention. Right. Uh, you know, there's, there's all these kind of stories that come yep. up. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you're in a situation, like these things happen. And I'm using this as an example because I think it can be extrapolated regardless of the 360. But how do you move someone into that point of recognizing the, the, recognizing the pieces of it that they can adjust behavior for, that they can, you know, move through that resistance, move out of whatever it is that's holding them back if they're unwilling to see it or they're in that place of complete resistance, right? Like what, how yeah. do you move them into, or how do, how can someone move themselves into a behavior or even, I mean, I'm going to start with acceptance of something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if I think about, you know, somebody who has a very oppositional point of view, you know, everything is a no. Everything is like, that's a bad idea. Or they want to blame other people for whatever it is that, that didn't go well. Yes. And you point out to them that their oppositional uh, scores are fairly high. So where, what is that about resistance? Well, you know, they just don't know how to do their job. You know, that's not about me. That's about them. Okay, great. So if I was to say to you that maybe there's a piece in here that might be a, you know, a little bit of insecurity on your part. Well, again, that that's gonna open them up a little bit. Um, no, I don't think that's about me. You hear this conversation. No, I don't think that's me. I don't think that's me at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what happens for me with these behavioral assessments is they get very granular. Mm. You can really drill down into specific types of, of activities where you know somebody's got a good idea and you shut them down before they start wow so when you do that what do you think that does to the team they have to stop and think about that mm. then i'll get even more granular with it and i'll say to them okay so if your knee-jerk reaction is to reject before you've had a chance to think about this what would it look like if you were to just take a moment? Just take a moment before you say no. And really consider, is this something worthwhile or not? Would that change your behavior? Probably. Okay, great. Would you be willing to start there? I'm not asking you to accept everything that comes your way, but would you be willing to start there? So this is a coaching conversation that's taking place. Now, on the other side of things, you've got somebody who's high in perfectionism. Now, they're hard drivers. They have high standards. They want everybody to be working long, hard hours and producing the results and so forth. But what's at core of that is the person is really hard on themselves because mm. they have set themselves, you know, and at the core of a lot of this stuff is the fear of I'm not good enough. So if you look at the guy or the woman who's oppositional, 
and they have a knee-jerk reaction to that. It's like, I can't let anybody in because they'll see my, my weaknesses. They'll see my vulnerabilities. The perfectionist is exactly the same way. If I give an inch, well, then I'm not doing my job properly and I'm, they're gonna take advantage of me, okay? But when you can teach people how to be more in perfectionism's uh, position, to be more compassionate to self, and on an oppositional piece, which is to give a little bit more space, then things start to change again. Mm. And I think that it's that awakening, that self-awareness, because that's the key to all of this behavioral work, is that it's a light into whatever it is. And even if they want to fight you on it, as a, if you're a good coach, and I think I'm a good coach, it's, a, it's about helping them to just look around the corners. Yeah. and see something a little bit differently. So it has to turn into a coaching conversation in that. You can't just tell people what to do. There has to be that whole, you know, help me understand stuff, you yeah. know, and an exploration of whatever that problem is. And I'm giving you a long answer on this, but I think this is a really critical piece um, for self-development. And yeah. frankly, all of us should be lifelong learners not only about our subject matters, but about ourselves. Yes. And if if you're not paying attention to that, I mean, I've had executives who say, I don't have time for self-reflection. Okay, great. So if you've got no time for self-reflection, how do you expect you and your team to grow? I mean, how many organizations resist paying to help people be better at who they are? I'll help you be better at your job, but I want to be, help you to be better at who you are. Because mm -hmm. that's not my field. That's not my responsibility. That's up to you, you know. But when we can create a more humanistic, encouraging environment within our organizations, and you really help people to understand how to collaborate and communicate more effectively. We talk, talk about it in behavioral work as constructive, creating a constructive culture. Mm -hmm. That's what that's really all about. Well, it's so interesting. Thank you for that answer. It's so interesting what you what you said is, you know, that idea of organizations help you do better at your job or do better at work, but they don't necessarily think about helping you do better at you, be a better you. And the truth is, and this is the thing that I always find so interesting is organizations are filled with people who are who they are. If you are investing in them being a better them, if you're in, if you're thinking about your own self-awareness, the people on your team's self-awareness, if you're thinking about development in that way, it ultimately helps them be better at their job because they're the ones doing the job. Exactly. It's not two different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we look at, at leadership development programs, $365 billion is wasted on leadership development. I mean, that was the last number I looked at and I don't think that's changed very much. So when we think about you know, the, num the, the dollars that are wasted. And, you know, I have a, a, a daughter who's in leadership and I said, can I give you much leadership training? She said, yeah, they throw a program at us occasionally. And, uh, you know, there it is. I said, does any of it actually stick? She says, no, not really. Although I had one recently that gave me some insights, but no, most of it is just like, I'm too busy. Got to get back on the job again. And so I, I see this and you see it too, I'm sure. You know, it's that short-term thinking. 
Yes. I put a Band-Aid on it. And I, what I like to say is Band-Aids don't stick after a while. You know, put them under water, they'll, they'll come off. Yeah. You know? It's, it's really, it's really interesting you say that. Cause I think that my experience in that has been that a lot of those, I'm going to pick on leadership development programs as the example is that it's really a box to check. They've created something where you go in, you watch a video, you check a box, you walk away. The company checks a box and the person watching the video checks a box or whatever it's box checked done. And yeah. it is, there is no, uh, there's no ongoing implementation. There's no opportunity to really actually utilize it or in many cases, there's no way in the systems to even suggest how you could do that. And that is a big, like, it's a stopping point, in my opinion, because we are busy. And if we're just going to go watch a video, I mean, you could go on TEDx and watch and TED and watch all the TED talks you want to watch about any topic. Absolutely. Many people are not doing that. And that does not necessarily help them do anything differently. That's it. I mean, it was a bit of entertainment, frankly, and, and maybe yeah. there was a couple of ideas that were worth thinking about, as the Ted says, ideas worth sharing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can share the ideas, but are they utilizing the ideas is right. the big deal. I mean, my famous example is I was brought in to do 66 behavioral studies for a company of 300. Okay. And, and that's, that was, that's a lot, right? Like that, that, that is a lot. That is a lot. Okay. I did six of them. So I did 66 and out of that 66, how many of them got coaching or follow-up? Oh, zero. <laughs> Nine. Nine. Nine of them out of 66. The rest were told, well, there's your report. Go do something with it. Yeah, that was interesting. Yep. Away you go. So um, <laughs> I worked with an organization who had something similar happen where they got a, a bunch of 360s done. And as part of the 360s, everyone had two coaching calls to review their results, which is what the company who sold them the results called coaching. Well, no, they got coaching. We went through and we had a plan for what they we had a plan for how they were going to change their behavior in two calls. Yeah. I just want to note that that also is not follow-up coaching. <laughs> no. That is not behavior it, change. You know, you can't have behavior change without accountability. And and that's the, the key to it, you know. And people need to feel like they're being encouraged and supported as well as challenged. Yes. I mean, I'm well known in my work for being no bullshit and I will kick your ass if you need it. And that's that's how I approach things. Now, I know it's not for everybody, but if you're invested in change and you want to change as fast as possible, that's my approach too. But not without compassion, by the way. I'm not just a, you know, a hard ass on this. But what I do feel is that if you're here because you want to change, because you're ready for change, then let's do the work. Yeah. And that work means you've got to get brutally honest with yourself about how you're showing up and how it's working for you. And what do you want to do to change that up? So again, to your point, crisis is created because of a refusal to change. <laughs> Very simple. And God knows I've had enough crisis in my own life to know what that looks and feels like. You know, it's yeah. not pleasant. But once you get off the stick, once you finally have the courage to take that next step, you find out that it's a hell of a lot easier than you thought, nine times out of ten. 
So I want to ask about this next step because you mentioned at the beginning as well. Um, and then we got on a topic, a tangent because I was caught up in what you were saying. Um, so this is not a bad thing at all, but I'm curious about, I hear a lot of time, I hear quite often that people, they don't take the next, I'm not saying this is an excuse, but I, I'm going to offer this to you. I'd love your perspective. Um, that in those moments, they don't know what the, they don't know what the next step is. They don't know, they don't have enough information. They're not even sure where to start. Mm -hmm. So how can they take action if they're not even sure where to start? Okay. So when you're in that place of, I don't even know where to start, there's always something, always something that can be an incremental piece of, I can change that, whatever that might be. It doesn't mean to say, because here's the other thing is, people think of the next step as being, I got to have the whole big picture. And I just did a graph on LinkedIn the other day there that said, you know, here's a woman standing in front of a staircase. And it's like, you don't have to do all of it. You just have to do one. And it's about what one thing can you do that would start to change everything. You don't need to know where you're going. You don't need to know what that big picture out there looks like. You just need to know that right now, there's one thing I can do that would start to make the changes that I wanna make. So there's no definitive answer for that because only the individual can answer that particular question, but there's always one thing, always. Well, it almost sounds like saying, I want to make a change can be the first step, right? That's exactly right. There you go. I, I admit I want to make a change. Terrific. All right. So what does change look like for you? Well, I wouldn't be so worried about this or wouldn't be so reactive to that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. So what's one thing you can do that would start to trigger a different reaction, different behavior, different thinking, whatever the case may be. And this is why we're coaches, you know, and why, you know, more and more people should be taking a coach to be able to break through some of those barriers. Of course, you know, you get the old thing of, I can't afford you and, and uh, I'm not sure what it is that I need to change right now. Okay, great. Well, let's have a conversation because your spouse or your, your people at work or whatever, they're not going to get it the same way a coach does, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but again, not all coaches are equal. So, you know, be careful about who you're choosing to go work with, if that's the choice you make. But even if you don't take a coach, start writing down what it is that you don't want, and then start writing up what you do want. Yeah. And then think about what would be a small step that would lead me in that direction. I think that's a great exercise. It's one of the ones I do with my clients when they don't know. I love that as a starting point. And I think that, um, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that a lot of times people hear conversations like this and it's like, I don't even know where to start like that. That doesn't apply to me because I don't even know where to start. Right. Yeah. And that yeah. I wanted to ask the question. Cause I, th I hear that even with when people are looking for coaches, they're like, I don't know what to work. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to work on. I, I don't like, or I don't know what I would do. And I always say this, my opinion, and I'm not saying this is yours, but my opinion, I was always like, look, you do not need a coach to be self-aware, to move forward, to progress and grow. You absolutely do not. You can do it on your own. However, yeah. it is much faster when you are working with someone who is trained to help you on that journey. It doesn't mean yeah. you have 
do it on your own, get started. Maybe at a certain point you change your mind, but don't stop or don't not step into the journey because of fear or because you don't have a coach or what you don't know where to start. So here's, here's where people get in their own way too on this one, which is they think that by hiring a coach, there's something wrong with them. Oh, I hate that. Sorry. <laughs> and you know, I do too. It's like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that if you're ambitious and you are, or even if you're not ambitious, but hopefully you are ambitious, um, you, you're choosing to accelerate your growth. Yeah. Because that's really all it is. We yeah. help people accelerate their growth by asking the right questions, by helping them to open up the windows of whatever is in their minds yeah. um, and taking the next step. And I'm always going to come back to that one again. So, yeah, taking the next step. I love it. Um, Jacqueline, you are fascinating. And I would love to talk about fearlessness more because I think it's such an important topic and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so I, I'm going to ask this question, which is, is there anything that we didn't get into that you would like to mention before we wrap up or something you want to emphasize you know, because you've said so many brilliant things. You, you, you know, mentioned your risk acronym. We talked about fearless, what the fearless factor is a little bit. We talked about taking those first steps. So is there anything that in that you either didn't mention or that you would like to emphasize before we wrap this up? I think I'm just going to come back to the same idea as, you know, whatever you're fearful of, whatever you think is the worst case scenario, trust yourself. Trust that you know you can handle whatever circumstances come your way, because that's another aspect of fear. I don't trust myself, and so therefore I don't trust other people. But when you learn to trust yourself, which is you have the confidence to know who you are, you have the confidence to take authority or ownership of, of who you are, then you can handle whatever circumstances are coming your way, no matter what they are. And you will definitely get yourself out of crisis. Thank you for being such a wonderful guest and for sharing so many of your thoughts and insights with us. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Jacqueline. And I know this is going to be wildly valuable to my people, um, to the listeners, to my people, to the listeners. You, We will have all the links to your website in the show notes. Do you want to just say it quickly for anyone listening who might not be in front of a computer? They can go to thefearlessfactoratwork.com and you'll find all the information you need about me, my programs and, and everything else that I've got going on. And definitely check it out because Jacqueline is phenomenal as you've all just heard. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Celine. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on the Leading Through Crisis podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, you can find us online at www.leadingthroughcrisis.ca.